Hello, friends. I feel like you are getting such a treat today, if I do say so myself, because we have Wynn Clark on the podcast. What? I just had the best conversation with her, and we are going to get into some juice. So you need to listen to this entire interview if you ever have struggled with the inner critic. So everyone... And I also want you to hear what she has to say about the narrative that you might be living in. She just is a wealth of new perspectives and really actionable ideas. And I love, love her so much. So little backstory. I met Wynn in my very, very first coaching training program, which was at the beginning of 2018. She was in that program. She was already a coach. She wasn't She wasn't getting trained herself, but I met her there and we participated in this thing together and we just clicked. And when that experience was over, I hired Wynne as my coach and she worked with me as a kind of business and life coach. We started with the agenda of business. Uh, because like I said, I was still in my first year. I was getting getting my stuff off the ground. And oh my gosh, is there so much to learn? And is there oh so much mind drama when you're changing careers and uh, therefore changing identities? Which I didn't really understand. That's what was happening until she explained it to me. And she was like, yeah, this is hard. And I was like, oh, okay, that makes sense. Uh, Very soon after we started getting down to business, as it were, my mom was diagnosed with stage four lymphoma which was a surprise. Um, She's totally great now. As of this recording in 2023, she's kicking ass. She just walked like seven miles yesterday. She's actually trying to like do that thing where you walk across Ireland in virtually. And she's like, I made it to like this town. And I'm like, I don't know what that means, but that's awesome. So she's, uh, she's great. But unsurprisingly, that took my coaching in a very different direction than I had planned. And this happens all the time. That is why I love my niche that I ended up working in with people because it's very tempting to want to work on very, very specific things, I think. But I like decision making because it just touches all parts of our lives. And at the end of the day, it's extremely hard, I find, to separate your personal stuff from your work stuff. And so this informed a lot of the coaching that Wynn and I did together. We would talk about business. You know, I was still trying to build my business through my mom's chemo. It was a wild year. So we would talk sometimes. We would talk about, okay, I'm going to, I have this idea for this workshop. Let's talk about it. Let's talk about my, you know, marketing. She's the one who got me on Instagram. Like before I coached with her, I wouldn't even post pictures of my face. It was so funny. She was like, oh, yeah, we need to see your face. <laughs> this is part of your marketing. I was like, I don't want to. And then other times I would cry and I would be mad and I would, you know, have to talk about cancer. And she was there for it. She knew her boundaries. You know, we we were always very clear on what are we working on and what are we not working on. But I just couldn't have done that year without her. I'm forever grateful she's a friend in my life. And that's, I've modeled a lot of how I work on my experience as a coachee with her or a coach, yeah, like the client. (laughs) It's like, there's a better word for that. 
my experience as a client of her where, yes, I came with an agenda, but we'd still got to talk about all the life things because ultimately your life things affect the other goals that you have on your agenda, of course. And sometimes you need your coach's help picking out what is the most valuable thing to even think about right now? What's the most valuable problem to solve? What's the highest quality question to ask? That is the stuff I love working with clients on because we get to the goals. We get to your agenda, but the life stuff is the work stuff. The work stuff is the life stuff and it's all decision making in the end, friends. Mm. Is that a tagline I just made up? I think so. So anyway, that's my love letter to win. I'm so grateful to her. I just hope you love this conversation and you take a lot away from it. And I'll see you soon. Oh my gosh. Okay. So welcome to the Decision Masters podcast, Win Clark. Thank you. <laughs> it's about damn time, right? I know. <laughs> it's been a minute. I can't even like begin to start describing who you are in my life. So why don't I just shut up and let you introduce yourself? You don't have to say who you are to me. Um, but I'm sure in my introduction that everyone just heard, it, I was like gushing. But who are you? What are you up to? Where are you at in the world? What, Tell us everything. To? Yes. Oh my God. So many things. So I'm a coach. I coach people on all kinds of things, but the common entry point for coaching is always about work. I'm really mm-hmm. passionate about work, people doing work they love, people having success in their work, people leaving corporate jobs that they hate to find the work they really want to do, or if they're in the corporate space, like really loving what they're doing there. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of what I, I focus on work, work, work. I love it. I think most of us spend a great deal of our life and most of our life energy working. So life short, let's make sure our work really lights us up. Um, I live in Paso Robles, California, which is halfway between LA and San Francisco. I'm a big city girl at heart, but I ended up here because I followed my heart to Paso and I love it. What else can I tell you? I love Um, that. I want to watch that movie. I followed my heart to Paso. And I ended up with a wine bar. Yes, uh, there's always that. There's lots of wine. Let's kind of share. Um, I had a long career in the corporate world before becoming a coach. And when I left the corporate world in 2014, I couldn't wait to get away from it. I couldn't wait to not do any of the things I had done. And then slowly over the years, like it's pulling me back. You know, like things I did in the corporate world that I never thought I would use again in mm. my coaching world um, keep showing up. So it's really like what? interesting. Yeah, really that's super interesting. Well, like I worked in business development, sales, sales training, marketing, product management. And like, I just never thought, I mean, obviously when, when those of us that become coaches end up in coaching, you know this, it's like, I want to coach people. You know, that's what we want to do. And like, there's this whole business side of telling people what you do and putting your work out there and emails and email newsletters and social media and having conversations with people. Like, are we a fit? Do we want to work together? Like all of those things that I did for a living um, have really come in handy. And uh, so that's kind of part of my story too, part of my, part of my journey. I, I have a partner, Ted. We found each other late in, later in life. So that was really somebody worth waiting for. Mm. And he has two fabulous children that are sort of my little, not officially stepchildren, but kind of. Um, and we live here and I work from home with my two cats. And yeah, life is good. Uh, 
Life is light just sounds beautiful. And I think that it's so real. And what I want to like delve into your wisdom on is, is so real that we spend so much of our one and only life working. And I think that moment when you realize, oh, I want to feel more in charge of this experience. It can be a moment that shows up more than once in your life and you only <laughs> see after 20 times, 20 appearances, yeah. or it can feel like a long drawn out moment. Yeah. I think it can be like, I think that was probably my experience, but I do feel like there's that decision point mm-hmm. where that's when you're probably hearing from people like, I need help. Yeah. Be feeling more in charge of all this, feeling better in this, feeling like my feet are under the ground, on, on the ground, under me, yes. <laughs> on the ground. Right? <laughs> Both. Yes. These so do you find, mm-hmm. yeah. Do you find that you're talking more? Because you and I coach together and we talked about many things. So I'm curious, are you coaching more on? in the business are you coaching people like do you you, do your conversations involve how are you going to respond to your boss and what are you going to do on this project is it like Mm -hmm. the in the weeds work because you said work 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 or is it more like you as a human navigating this work experience like how do you want like or work career decisions yeah is that does that question yeah, make sense? It's a great question. And it's and I'm I still am finding it challenging to really be able to describe what happens in coaching without actually somebody having the experience of it, right? And it's different yeah. for each of us. I mean, you're a coach, I'm a coach, everyone does things a little bit differently. The primary thing I'm trying to do is support people in showing up in the world in the new way that's in support of the work they want to do and the life they want to live. Mm. And often in my training as an integral coach, you know, we talk about it as narrative. You know, most of us have a story about how we're showing up, you know, like um, the the victim, the loser, the girl that's not pretty enough, the person that's too old. Like we have these stories, the middle child. The The understudy. That's the one you told you and I talked about. Yeah. Not ready. Not ready yet. You know, and so we all have these narratives, sometimes multiple ones that we're carrying with us. And these narratives stop us from showing up in the world in a way that's really in alignment of what we're dreaming of and who we want Mm. to be. And so if I can invite a client to play with a new narrative that's in support of the work they want to do and the life they want to live, even just a little bit, you know, just play with it, experiment with it. Um, try to step into that, you know, um, embody that. Even if it's just for a few moments here and there, you know, that can begin to create this change, you know, because, because change in my experience, yes, we can have light bulb moments of, I want to change, but lasting change, true lasting change is freaking hard and Mm. takes, and takes time, Mm. you know, it's very Um, uncinematic. It is. It's like, it's, it's tedious Mm -hmm. and messy. Yeah. It's not sexy. It doesn't make for a great webinar. You know what I mean? Like, Hey, you know, six weeks to six figures and all these kinds of things. These, these, um, 90 minutes to a new narrative. 
You can take, yeah. you can have that one for free. Thank you. Thank you. And actually, I, I might use that. And at the end of those 90 minutes, like, oh, no, by the way, yeah, you've just experimented for a few minutes and it's going to be really hard to continue to move in that direction and really own that narrative, own that mm-hmm. new way of showing up. So that's really a common thread. <laughs> I mean, sure. Sometimes I might be on a coaching call with someone who's running their own business and they're like, I have a problem employee and I think I need to let them go. You know, mm-hmm. or it might be a senior executive in the technology space with hundreds of employees trying mm-hmm. to show up differently, right? And yeah. so we we get into the nitty gritty, but the more I coach, the more I continue to realize I am not an expert in anybody else's life but my own. Yeah. And so the core of what I'm doing, you know, after the invitation for a new narrative, it's like. What's your wisdom about what you want to be doing here? I mean, you know this yes. from our work with clients, right? Like most of us know what we need to be doing. We're just not doing it. Yes. Yeah. So that takes the pressure off of me of being an expert in everybody else's business and life. Right. You know? Right. And that doesn't mean there are on occasions where you go, have you thought about this? Right. Like, of course. Right. But it's not, it's certainly not me telling somebody else what they should be doing with their life. And I yeah. think some people expect that in coaching. What should I do when? Tell me. And it's like, I can't tell you, but I want to support you in getting I so have, clear about your own wisdom. I have no idea what you're talking about. I've never, ever asked you one time, what should I do? <laughs> Give me an answer. That's ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, it's super attractive. It's that's the easy way out. That's like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, some, and some of us as coaches kind of, of almost imply that like I have all the answers right? yeah hire me and I'll tell you but it's then what happens when you're not working with that client anymore then they're on their own unable to make decisions for themselves and move forward on their own that doesn't serve anybody long-term. and that's why I'm so grateful to you for being willing for me not to like you sometimes because <laughs> I was like win just really tell me what to do and you were like here is what you just said you wanted to do and I'm like that's not an answer. And you're like, yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, I'm grumpy right now, but I'm going to come back next week. And I'm going to have thought a lot about this. <laughs> so, oh the gosh, I, there's so many questions though. How, how do you know, like someone listening right now, I bet their ears just perked up like, Ooh, what narrative am I living in? How do you, do you help how do you, how does someone know what narrative they're in? Is it because of whatever their like pain point is or their presenting problem or? Uh, Great question. First of all, I think um, there are many potential narratives that are showing up for us that could be getting in the way of what we want to be doing with our lives. So there's not one right narrative we have to find out, right? It's it's more about when somebody comes to coaching, they're like, this is where I'm stuck. Yeah. And I learn about what's been going on for them. It's like, oh, I can see how this way of showing up, this, this, this narrative, this thing you call Mm. yourself, either consciously or unconsciously Mm. is what's holding you back. And in my experience, oftentimes we can't name it for ourselves because if we could name it, we wouldn't be stuck. And and that's the beauty of this outside person who's not your sister and not your best friend and not your mom, not your boyfriend. You know, it's like this outside person oftentimes can just swoop in and go, oh, 
you know, I'm, I can see things in a way that, that you can't because you're in the thick of it and your friends and family are in the thick of it with you. And they're invested oftentimes in you showing up just exactly the way you've always shown up. I know that's very convenient for them. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. So that's really interesting because you're giving someone not only permission to kind of be honest about what they want and then look objectively and honestly and compassionately, right? About like, okay, what's happening that's making this harder or making this take longer or keeping me away from it. And you're giving people permission to like not have to come up with that exact perfect answer all by themselves. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's a process, right? It doesn't necessarily have to take a long time, but it does have to take committed investment yeah. to change your narrative that you're living in. Yeah. What, what would you say? I'm curious if you see like a common thread in what people struggle with in that. Is it like, do you come across people not thinking they like are capable of the new narrative or are the old habits just so strong? strong and deeply embedded that they like revert back there a lot like what's what challenges do you see um a couple of different things you touched on that i think are important to unpack one is that the ways we're showing up in the world for many of us were developed many many years ago Mm. in support of keeping us safe yeah you know in our world keeping it what we believe to be safe Right. And so they're well worn ways of showing up. Mm -hmm. I mean, the muscle memory, right? Like it's just, this is how I show up, you know? And can you give an example, not to interrupt, but can you give an example of what you mean when you say show up? Like just using any example narrative. Yeah. So let's say, let's say a lot of the women that I work with in particular um, have perfectionist tendencies. Certainly not all of them. But there's a lot of like, it's got to be perfect before, before I do anything, before I say anything in a meeting, before mm-hmm. I put something out on social media, um, before I create something and put it out in the world, a piece of art, you know, a photograph, a design, a coaching program, before I, I speak up in a meeting and, and say, I think that's a really bad idea. And, and here's what I suggest, whatever it might be. Yeah. Those ways of showing up for most of us were formed relatively on early on in our lives to keep us feeling safe in our families of origin, in our social circles, in, you know, we get a lot of conditioning, you know, from religions, from communities, from families. And so we just, we establish these ways of showing up and that's just, and it kind of works for us for a while. Yeah. It really Like does. it works to get it us works. through the moment. It doesn't work in terms of like, this is what's for our highest good and feels the most, whatever, but it works like, cause we're alive still. Absolutely. And I mean, in some households it might've, you know, enabled you to not get hit, right. Or to receive love, you know, or yelled at by your boss or whatever, or to advance in your career. When I was like, I mean, my first corporate job, we were like little mini men. We were like an out men, the men, you know what I mean? Like we had, we were, we were dressed like we were from a religious sect that was covering up almost all of our skin, except for, right? I mean, it was just like, we were like little mini men, but that's what we needed to be to be successful in that corporate environment in a fortune 500 company in the nineties. Mm. It's just the way it was, but that certainly isn't 
serving me in my work now, you know? And so this, the phrases, I'm sure you've heard this, like what got you here isn't going to help you get there. Ooh, take that in. Yeah. Mm. And so we have these ways of what got us here. And I mean, I have clients that want to debate with me, right? It's like, well, I've always done it. Blah, 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 blah. It's like, yeah. yeah, you've always done it that way. And you're saying it's not working anymore. Yeah. You know, you, you've just been promoted into a new role or you're launching a new business, a new career at, at 35, at 40, at 50, whatever. Yeah. It's like, what got you here and led to your success there is not going to lead to your future success. And it's, I hate that that's true. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And it doesn't matter if you're changing careers completely or if you're just in that moment yeah. of your story where you're like, I don't want to have to feel the way that I feel yes. in order to keep going. I don't yes. want to have to burn out or... Mm -hmm. uh, people please 24 hours a day in order to keep going, even if you're not changing careers. Yes. But at that same, it's a paradigm shift because it's like, well, that might've been the old narrative. Yeah. And what do you do when people want to get mad at themselves for that? Not that I, that's ever happened to me, but like <laughs> asking for a friend, what happens when you realize the truth of the narrative you're living in? And you're like, I don't like this. Whose idea? Well, I know, I know. I mean, self-compassion is so important in sessions with clients. I'm really supporting them in normalizing the yeah. way they're feeling. You know, I think we don't always is have these open conversations with each other about the kind of the voices in our head, the committees in our head, yeah. inner critic, inner gremlin, whatever you want to call it, right? But these, these voices in our head that want to beat us up for not being perfect, for not being better, for not, for having to learn a lesson for the third freaking time, you know? I have no idea what that's like. Yeah. <laughs> I think and that so, that's, pro yeah, keep going. You no, know, and so literally having like developing a technique and it's, it's, it's unique to each of us, but I like to support clients in doing this. It's like, okay, there's that inner critic showing up. Yeah. Let's greet that inner critic with compassion. She mm -hmm. is trying to keep you safe. God bless her. And she's misguided. Mm -hmm. So can you, can you greet her, thank her for her misguided, you know, activities and whatever it might be, and then just take a new action, even if it's just a baby step in the direction you want to go. Yeah. yeah. I, I think that that might be, it's hard for me to look back on our work together and think of like my takeaways in a very clean way, because so much happened. Um, I was at the very beginning of my business I was living in my parents' back house where, or back studio. I call it a back house and people think house. So it's I have totally to back that. house. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and my mom had can't like got cancer while like during our, mm. our um, coaching together, I was going through this identity change. I was going through all this imposter stuff. I was going through like the mechanics of building a business, which like, ugh. so and then I started dating, like trying to do the dating thing. Then I met my husband. So you guys, when is responsible for <laughs> basically every, no, all of this? Riding shotgun. 
Right, but exactly. I think what you just said about in sessions, helping people learn how to be compassionate with themselves in those moments. I think that that's one of the big standouts of our work mm. together because it, and that's, that's what's hard to describe because it isn't some sexy giant cinematic, okay, poof, you're fixed situation. It's like the, the bowling bumpers getting you down the lane closer to where, like you're moving yourself, but along the way, you're going to want to talk to yourself the way you've always talked to yourself. You're going to make the people pleasing perfectionist decision the way you always have. And then you're going to make it and then you're going to be so mad at yourself. And then that's why that consistent support that the coach offers, specifically you, the coach, I think that that's some of the indescribable magic mm -hmm. that creates that long lasting change you were talking about. I'm so appreciative of you sharing that. Um, you know, cause, cause the work evolves, my work evolves as, as all of our work does. And just reflecting back, you're hearing that reflection back from you, that it was learning to be more self-compassionate towards yourself that actually was a takeaway. I just, I, really well, I don't, appreciate knowing that. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think I knew I wasn't because I didn't think, I didn't really know it was a thing. Yeah. And then when I found out it was a thing, it was kind of this peripheral woof idea. Yeah. And I was like, who has time for that? <laughs> I, I know what's what. I know how to get things done. I know how to like advance and get more degrees and get more successful. And I know how things should be. And I know how fast they should be moving. And there's some stuff that's going wrong. And you're like, self-compassion, self-compassion, self-compassion. It's not all we talked about, but it was no. a, it was a huge growth area that I now can see working with any client, any walk of life, any career yeah. stage. It's non-negotiable that, that we have to work on that mm -hmm. too. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I mean, it's interesting because I think, you know, there's a lot of language with those that identify as women around how we talk to ourselves, right? There's mm. a lot, you know, in terms of, um, you know, the inner mean girl, inner critic, you know, there's some talk about that in the personal development space, but it's, it's just as true for the men I work with, yeah. you know, young, old, and especially the kinds of people generally who come to coaching, certainly coaching with me. It's like, they're achievers and they want to do better, right? I'm going to hire a coach. I'm going to be even better at the things I'm doing, you know? And so achievers can in particular have a very, very well-defined inner critic voice, you know, asking them to do more and do better and do faster, Yeah. you know? And that's, exhausting. So if that's some, an exhausting way to live. Exhausting, especially if your default reaction to it, which I think mine and usually my, uh, my clients, mm share this habit, mine used to, my reaction used to be like, I should be over that by now. I shouldn't be right. like, I'm smart enough that I shouldn't be thinking this way. Or I thought I solved that. I probably right. said that to you like every other week for six months. Like I thought we solved this already. Yeah. So if somebody has, if somebody listening right now is also aware of, okay, I have some kind of inner critic yapping away at me with this familiar story. Mm -hmm. It's one of the one, many ones that you mentioned. What is one thing that they can do to be more self-compassionate? It's one of those unsexy, ungiant, but actually super effective because you can do it right now, little mm -hmm. things. Mm -hmm. Great question. One is I would, and this is a, doesn't have to be hard, 
you know, get out a pen and paper Yeah. when you're feeling good, like don't do this, you know, if you're in the fetal position, you know, watching Netflix or something, but you know, distinction, exactly. Yes. After a walk or whatever, you know, when you're feeling good, spend some time writing down, you know, what are some of the things that my inner critic says to me? Yeah. Right. Okay. Don't make a list. What are some things that your inner critic, you know, my inner critic says to me, when does my inner critic uh, show up? What are the types of circumstances and situations where my inner critic starts to show up? If people spend a few minutes reflecting on this, they begin to get really clear and see themes. Yeah. It shows up when I'm in the meeting with that person and that person. With my over here, not a problem. But when I'm in meetings with that person, it shows up or it shows up at the family event with that particular family member or whatever it might be. It shows up when I'm looking at social media and I'm in particular looking at this person's account or that person's account, right? Like we know when they show up. Yeah, nodding head vigorously. Yes, exactly. And, And what's it saying? And give it a name. Give it a name. You know, I mean, you can call it whatever you want. You know, Gina. I mean, hey, Gina's great. You know, okay. it just, I mean, it could be a clever name. It could be something as simple as Gina kind of says it all. Or it could be like the name of your third grade teacher from whom you learned that criticism is an effective adapt, exactly. adapting, like coping mechanism. Exactly. <laughs> and and, and that, that leads to another part of the process, which is who does this person sound like? Oh, you know, oftentimes, yeah. like, oh, it sounds like, sounds like my mom or it sounds like my best friend it mm. sounds like my my old friend or an old boyfriend mm. right or it's some kind of an amalgam of that person and that person you put them together it's the yeah. love child it's yeah like, oh, oh you know yeah and and so just first get really clear about who's this person when do they show up what triggers him or her you know, so that you can be more able next time they show up, which they will, to go, oh, there they are. That's not me. Ah. It's not me. It's that other voice that has something to say. And I don't have to heed that voice. I mean, I can tell you, I wanted to be a coach for so many years before going down that path because those inner critic voices in my head this amalgam of a few people that I know that I'm not going to talk about publicly on podcast because I don't want to, but this amalgam of a few people, I mean, I could have, I could have made it to my deathbed and never moved forward because of that voice holding me back, you know? And I also just want to normalize for people. This is not something that you learn about and deal with and never have it happen again. Right. Like now when it shows up, I, I mean, I notice it much more quickly. I can deal with it much more quickly. I can laugh about it, yeah. right? And sometimes I can be sad about it, but I'm, but it, it's not, you know, it's not in charge of where my life's going anymore. Woof. And that's, that's what you can tell, right? You can tell if you're in the middle of, it's like you're on a ship and you, you all of a sudden are like, wait, when did I get to this ocean? Which direction are we going? Who's in charge? Yes. Mm-hmm. That's when you know. Yeah. I mean, and I think, I mean, just looking at your trajectory and the choices yeah. you made, right? I mean, 
Ivy League, right? I mean, just following a dream that had been birthed many, 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 many years younger and still following that same thing. You know, it's like we just, we get in these, we get on these paths. And honestly, most people stay on that path and don't really explore. Is this how I I want my life to move forward? Is this where I want to keep going? Yeah. You know? Yeah. And if it's not, what I eventually found was I, I, the, the problems, the misalignments, the unfulfilling things became clearer and clearer. Yes. But I just stayed there. I stayed focused on like, this is what I don't like. Yeah. And then I didn't really have anywhere to go from there. So I just got mad at myself for my choices. And then I felt like, then I lived in a victim narrative for a while because I was like, well, what am I going to do? And that's also very normal, right? Like sometimes totally. we're just going to be, we're, we're going to believe we're victims. And that's what if, what if that's the process? What if the first yeah. process is I don't want what I used to want anymore. And that sucks. And then there's a process of wallowing for a little bit. Yeah. You know, they, what they call that escape velocity. Like when a rocket has to leave orbit, you know, when you see a rocket take off, there's all of that whatever it is, propane, natural gas, whatever it is, they're like the fuel that's like, you know, to get it out a little bit, right? Because, you know, in the orbit, we all have the rules of how we interact with each other and the ways of being, right? But you need need all of that that fire and that juice to like break out. So I used to, for myself, and even, you know, early on with clients, we'd be like, come on, like, let's get going. Let's and actually, I'm I'm learning certainly for myself, but also with clients. It's like this is part of the process. It's going to be yeah. hard and ugly for a while. That's just what change looks like. And first, we have to know what we don't want and get crystal clear about that yeah. before we can start to get creative about what we do want. You know, because it's really hard to be like seeing possibilities when you're in the thick of what you don't want and you're miserable. You know, when yeah. I was in my corporate world, my, my last few years, because a lot of years, the jobs were fine, good yeah. even. But in those last few years, when I knew I didn't want to do it anymore, it was really hard to get creative about how I could chart my way to my new career. Yeah. Because I was, you know, burned out and miserable in that work, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I think one thing that is coming across really clearly to me that I want to name out loud and slow down for is, well, a couple things. One, you want to be intentional about the energy in which you will leave, you, you even entertain this thinking, whether it's mm-hmm. thinking about what you want and the vision of like, oh, how do I want my work to feel? What narrative do I want to be in? Or it's thinking about your inner critic and getting to know them more and get familiarizing yourself. I think that that's such a really, really important step that you named. That's super easy to skip where just pay attention to what energy are you in? Cause if you're feeling like utter crap and there's no hope in the world, that's probably not the best time to think about your future Yeah. or get in touch, like open up lines of communication with your inner critic. Yes. Exactly. It's where bad decisions are made, you know? Yeah. So thank you for that. And then on the inner critic note, I just think that this is a, this is such a helpful step-by-step that you gave everyone to move through me included. 
And the, the reason that I love the detail that you encourage people to just like observe themselves with and like think with compassion about like what's going on is people like me, us, my clients, your clients can be very like action oriented. Like let's solve the problem. Let's fix the thing. Let's understand the thing fine quickly, but like, so that we can fix it. And the way that I've come to think about how I operate as a human is with a committee member. I mean, committee in my mind, right? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And all the voices and my non-negotiable perspective on it is that they are all on the same team. Like I am not out to get myself. Even the most critical voices around the table yeah. are their their aim in life is not to like hurt me and make me fail. And what I love about this process that you just like bestowed upon us is that the more familiar you are with the voices around the table, like what are the committee members' agendas? How do they show up? How can you anticipate them showing up? How can you how can you start relating to them differently? It's all I think that it's a great way to connect with yourself from that perspective. That like I really yeah. am on my own team. That way we eliminate the problem to solve being I got to get rid of this inner critic. Right. Or there's something wrong with me because my inner critic is so loud. It's like, no, you're normal and you're not going to get rid of it. Ideally, you're just quieting it. You're quieting. I love what you said about when you can anticipate when it's going to arrive, Mm -hmm. right? The, The circumstances, you know, like, oh, I know, you know, then it's like, okay, let me just make it prepared. So I'm heading into yeah. a circumstance which where it's normally going to arrive. Yeah. How can they be a little bit more prepared for that? You know, there was and something, that's something you, Oh yeah. Tell me. No, there's something else you mentioned. I've noticed if people are struggling to see their own inner critic at first, just thinking that's just me, mm. you can see it in the people you love around you. Oh, tell us more. Well, like, you know, your, your partner drops the glass and breaks it. It's like, Oh, stupid. you know, you're stupid you know, or a child, your, your, your own child or a nephew or niece, uh-huh. or, you know, where they're like, Oh, I'm, I'm such a dummy, you know, or a friend who's like, Oh, you know, yeah. I just, I look, I look fat in this outfit. So you can see your, you can, we can see the inner critics of all the people we love who we yeah. think are fabulous and amazing all around us. Yeah. So that can be a nice place to, if you're having a hard time getting in touch with your own inner critic, seeing the critic around you in the people mm. that you love, you know? Because yeah. it's like, when I hear someone around me, when their inner critics making an appearance, it's like, it makes me love them so much more. And it makes me have so much more compassion for myself because I know how ingrained yeah. these critics are yeah. in our heads. Something that really helped me too, now that you mentioned that was observing my critical tendencies and just using that as a vehicle to get more in touch with like, cause I, you know, when Kenny is on a show, he'll be working, he'll be gone for, I don't know, like 17 hours a day. And then when he's not on a show, he's home and he's not shockingly working that whole time. (laughs) A, because he's not working a job (laughs) and B because even when he is giving himself projects to do, which he does often, he's like built four bicycles since I've known him, but they don't consume every ounce Mm -hmm. of what my brain is considering free time. And when we first got together, I was highly 
to the critical to the point where I surprised myself, like, why are you so freaking mad right now? Mm -hmm. And that was a really good indication for me when I stepped back from it, obviously with the help of coaching, I could see like, okay, what do you really care about here? Do you really care that he's sitting down and doing nothing right now? Do we really care? Yeah. Or is this just our critic being like, using that as a way to reflect what we think we need to criticize about ourselves. You're never working enough. Exactly. It's that old, that classic, if you spot it, you got it. And so often, you know, when we see something in somebody else that we don't like, and we give voice to that either verbally or, you know, we're thinking, oh, you know, he's, he's so lazy. It's actually, there's a part of us that can be lazy that we haven't learned to love yet. You know? That we haven't brought in into, you know, into like our wholeness. Yes. Yeah. I just need to like take that in. There's not even a part of you that you need to forgive for being lazy. There's not, it's just a part of you that you're like, haven't learned to stop criticizing. You haven't learned that you don't need to criticize it for the rest of time. Exactly. And I'll even notice that, like, I'll see somebody sort of famous, let's say, that's doing something. And I'm like, oh, look at them. I mean, it's not somebody I know, right? Somebody famous doing something stupid on social. Oh, yeah, I've like, loved oh, that. So, yeah. And I'm like, wait a minute. You know, I think like, oh, look how they're putting themselves out there. It's like, I go to my own Instagram feed and it's like, here's a picture of me. Here's a picture of me. <laughs> I mean, I'm not doing it as well. And I, you know, I'm not in a bikini and I'm not doing it as well. But I'm doing it too. But it's that yeah. part of me that, that I haven't learned to love about myself, which is sometimes I want myself a little bit, you know? Yeah. 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 And this is the crap that, that mucks up the decision-making, right? I can mm-hmm. see now that I'm like, focused on what makes our decisions harder all day long. It's when you're spending so much time in these old patterns, in your old narrative, when you're spending so much energy, just engaging with the inner critic, believing it or fighting against it, like either, or you're not moving your life forward in a way that feels good and feels in your, feels intentional. You're also making every freaking decision harder. And that's when I think the hard thing is you come to your come to your coach and you're like, I want to make all these decisions about my business or nothing in my business is working. And that's where you use all of your masterful wisdom to guide people through being self-compassionate and like making the business decisions, make the work decisions, make the career choices. Yes. But that's why that piece is non-negotiable. Yeah. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh. <laughs> mm. Oh my gosh. I feel like this podcast is made of pure solid gold and I can't wait to re-listen to it. And I want to ask you my three interviewee questions. Yes. Oh my God. Yes. Now that everyone is like, okay, it's normal to need a coach. I can see why it helps to have someone outside of my brain with all the voices in my head mm. to like talk this out with. How will someone know if coaching is going to help them? Like, I think that it's easy for people like us who are bought in to like, like I'm yeah, just gonna have a yeah. coach forever. I'm, I never wanna be alone. I never wanna not have help with anything. But right, it can right. be easy to get stuck in that place where that you were describing, right? Like where you weren't gonna get coaching because you think it's not for you. You think you're not ready. You think the mm-hmm. timing's wrong. So what should someone do if they think maybe I want mm-hmm. help? Two things come to mind. The first thing is, and I just want to say this right out loud to anybody who's listening, who's contemplating coaching, coaching might not be right for you. 
Mm, yeah, it is. It is not for everybody. So as much as I'm like obsessed with coaching and have been for decades, it's not for everybody. Yeah. And you yeah. already use that term right fit, right? It's like, yeah, totally. That's I mean, the first step finding out right, if it's like the right, right fit. time and right person, you know? So if you're not willing to get uncomfortable and to do some things that are uncomfortable, please don't hire me. And I would, I would strongly suggest don't hire any coach. Like if you're, if you're honestly not ready to make change and change is hard and, and often uncomfortable and sometimes exciting and energizing too, right? Like it's, well, it's the all same part time. of it. Exactly. Exactly. So if you're not really ready yet to begin to make changes, even little ones, you're wasting your money to hire a coach. Mm. And if you're even remotely thinking about hiring a coach and you're just feeling that inner, like, hmm, like this, this sounds kind of interesting to me. I really would strongly suggest people follow their gut and their intuition about that. So it tends to be a decision that people are trying to make from the head up, you know, Ooh, like, yeah, okay, should I, and the pros and cons, and I spend this much and I might get this, and this is what we're going to solve and all that. But if you could kind of bring the decision down into your body, into your heart, and into your gut, which is where mm. all of my brilliant decisions are made. Um, then kind of bring bring your head and your heart and your gut to the equation and just kind of feel like, do you feel like, hmm, this is what's next for me, for my own development, for my highest good. This is what's next for me. That's the place to make the decision from. You know, and I can't tell you, I've had so many times where people, I've talked to them about coaching. They don't hire me and it's a year later or it's six, six months later, or it's two years later. And it's like, now I'm ready. It's like, okay, yeah. now you're ready. Perfect timing. Yeah. 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 Oh, I love that answer. I love it. Okay. Speaking of your gut, what kind of yeah. decision maker would you describe yourself to be in this chapter, in this season of your life right now? Yeah. Cause historically I've, I'm an overthinker. Yeah. I'm, 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 I'm wired to be an overthinker. Yeah. And I think I'm always going to overthink, but when I reflect on the good decisions I've made, you know, last week, last month, last year, over the course of my life, every single one of them has been an intuitive hit, mm -hmm. an intuitive hit in my body that says, I want to do that mm -hmm. or not anymore. I don't want to do that. Like it's just, it is a physical body knowing so my, my head's up here thinking about it, thinking, 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 and then I just physically know. It's yeah. almost like this is the primer, the, the, the overthinking is the primer for the, then I'll know in my body. And until I know in my body, I don't, I don't do anything. So good. It's so, this is why I love like getting in touch with how do I operate? When do my best decisions happen? When do I love my choices? Because then you can capitalize on that. Totally. You're like, oh, there, there she is. My body telling me something again. You know? Yeah. Speaking of last week, mm -hmm. is there a self-honoring decision that you've made in the past few days, week, whatever, that you would love to share with us? Mm. Um, self-honoring decision. Well, we were, we were just down for a big uh, wedding weekend in Nashville. Oh, fun. So, I've never yes. been. Oh, so fun. Oh my gosh. So much fun. And um, so I was with my partner, Ted, and his daughter joined us, Sydney, and 
we had so many decisions to make over the course of this trip. So we were yeah. trying to decide um, what we were going to do next. We had just a few hours to play between an early commitment and Sydney having to leave. And um, we were just kind of contemplating all the different things we could do in the city, of which there are hundreds. And it was just like, this is the thing I most want to do right now. And just saying that out loud, which sounds kind of pathetic. Oh my God. <laughs> it sounds pathetic, but I just, I was wired and I was raised to default to what does everybody else want to do? And I'm still at my age, still like working on that one. It's like, no, this is what I want to do next. And so off we went. We did a Grand Old Opry tour at the Ryman, um, Ryman Auditorium in downtown Nashville, which is pretty spectacular. So, yeah. yeah. I love it. I love that. And it's not, I mean, I know that, you know, it's not pathetic and I know you, I know you don't even all the way believe it sounds pathetic, but I get this qualifier every single time I ask this question, I ask somebody, what's the most self-honoring decision you want to share with us for the last week? And everyone is always like, oh, this sounds so stupid, but I pulled over and I got food for myself instead of like making myself wait and suffer. And or I like, it's going to sound so silly, but I said mm-hmm. yes to this instead of no, but it's like, oh, is there though? That's the juice. It's never pathetic or too small or silly. I love that you were willing to share that with us because also one of my goals in life is to just help people like more easily spot when are you making self-honoring decisions in your life? Yeah. And like, can we celebrate them a little more? Can we like well, tune into that? Can you imagine if your life was strung together with all these little moments of self-honoring decisions, like how amazing your life would be, right? I mean, your work is so brilliant and it's such a kind of unique place to be in the, in the coaching space. You know, you have a really unique gift that you're putting out there. And it's really, it's so beautiful to see. I'm, I'm like proud of you and all of you excited for you. Um, I love what you're up to. It's like I said, nobody else is doing what you're doing out there. Oh, thank you. I received that. And this is my favorite image ever now of someone's life, like strung together with self-honoring decisions. So Take that for a final mental picture, decision <laughs> masters. Thank you so much for being here. Oh, please, before you go, because um, I can't highly recommend working with Win enough. Mm. If you guys are a right fit, if you are the right time, it, you've changed my life. And I will be forever your student, your fan, your friend. I can't wait to come up to the wine bar again soon. So uh, when people inevitably want to soak in more of your wisdom, where should they find you? Where should they follow you? Yeah, I think the two best places are at winclark.com, and that's win with two N's and Clark without an E, winclark.com, or on Instagram at winclark. I like to have fun over there. So this is a, my two favorite places to show up. Boom, amazing. And we're going to link all of that in the show notes, and then you can check out whatever is going on at this moment in time for Win. And I just can't thank you enough for being here. I'm going to digest this conversation for the next like three weeks straight. So... Thank you for having me. Once I finish that, I'll have to have you back and get you get some more wisdom nuggets. Thank you for having me. This has been so much fun and I look forward to um, seeing you soon. I hope I miss you so much and I'm just so proud of you. So thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. We'll we'll sign off and then we'll make a date. Okay. Bye everybody. Hey there. If you love this episode, we 
might get along. Here's how we can hang out more. First, you can head to kirstenparker.com forward slash quiz and take the momentum quiz. <gasps> What's that? It's a quiz that will give you an instant actionable game plan to kickstart your momentum and reveal your number one momentum killer, which nobody likes. We don't want that. We don't need that anymore. And you are invited to check out the Decision Masters membership where you get one-on-one support, group support, an entire course, workshops, all focused on changing the habits that make you overthink, mistrust your decisions, not know what you want, all the things that stress us out. So if you are ready to make every decision easier and trust your choices and make them with confidence a heck of a lot faster, go to kirstenparker.com forward slash DMP decision masters program you can book a free hour you and i can talk one-on-one and we'll figure it out can't wait to see you soon